What is up, collective? How are y'all doing tonight? I love it. Guys, man, I am so excited to be here with you guys today. I don't think you guys, I really, I don't think you guys have any idea how excited I am to be. I have missed the collective like crazy. And we're four weeks back. Who has been here all four weeks since we've been back? Raise your hand. Come on, y'all. I love it, guys. The collective, the ministry is so, so good. And, and what makes it awesome is all of you guys. All of you guys coming to a Tuesday night every single week, being thirsty for Jesus, being hungry for Jesus, chasing after Jesus, and chasing after community. And that's exactly what we have here at the collective. And it is so, so good. And we're going through this series called This Changes Everything. And we've heard some awesome messages. We had Corey, we had Josh, and we had Jennifer. All amazing messages that if we apply to our lives, changes everything in our life. And I think that, that today is going to be no different. I think that if we, if we take the message that the Lord has put on my heart today, and if we apply it to our lives, I think it can seriously change everything. And that should be good news for us. That should be g- great news for us. Because I think that we need change in our life. I think that we need change worse than we think that we need change. And so as I was preparing for this message, this thought came into my mind. And I was wrestling with it the whole time. And the thought was, I wonder when Christianity became all about belief instead of following Jesus. Like, seriously, when did Christianity become that if you believe in God, then you're a Christian? That's a scary thought to me that people think that. That people think that if you just believe in God, that, that means that you are a Christian. We're gonna, in our scripture that we're going to hop into later today, we're going to find out that even the demons believe in God. The demons believe in God. They know that he is who he says he is. They, they believe in him. They believe in his power and in his strength. But they don't follow him. They don't choose to, to follow him. We have the choice to follow him. And when I think of a follower of Jesus, I think somebody who reads their Bible every day. I think of somebody who, who doesn't pray every day, but prays consistently every day. The Bible tells us to pray without ceasing, to pray consistently every day. Somebody who, who trusts God's plan for their life. Somebody who knows that God's way is the best way. Somebody that goes to church every week. Somebody that is in a small group. Somebody that is studying their Bible. Like, when I think of a follower of God, that is what I think of. And some of you guys might be like, man, Chris, that's a lot. That's not a lot. That's Christianity 101. Reading our Bible. Praying. Knowing that God's way is the best way. Going to church. Being in a small group. These things are not hard. These things are are things that a follower of Jesus does. And so I think that we need to ask ourselves, am I a follower of Jesus, or do I just believe in him? Like, seriously, we need to to dig deep into our hearts and say, am I a follower of Jesus, or do I just believe in him? Because just believing in him is not enough. And before I get into this message today, I— I really, really want you guys to hear my heart behind this message, okay? I don't want you, like, I came out firing, right? I don't want you to think that I'm super mean. I'm not mean, okay? I don't want you to think that I'm coming at you. I'm not coming at you. But I, I fully believe that us, our generation, young adults, we are not experiencing God to the full, 
We are not experiencing God in who he is and what he has for each and every one of you to the full. And it's by no fault of any of you. It's, it's by fault of the world and what the world ha- has told us is right. It's by fault of, of social media and what social media tells us that we should chase after. It's, it's by fault of how we grew up. We grew up hearing lies about Christianity, about Jesus, about who he is. And the message that the Lord put on my heart today, I, I really think that it reveals a lot of lies that we have grown up believing. And I think that the first one is that Christianity is more than just believing in Jesus. It's about following Jesus. And so if you hear me and you think that I'm coming at you today, don't think I'm coming at you, okay? Because my heart behind this message is that I want each and every one of you, I want each and every one of you so desperately to experience Jesus and what he has for you to the full. Do you know that if you experience God's love for you, that, that, like his real love that he has for you, if you experience that to the full, do you know how that would change everything in your life? That if you experienced his joy and his peace and his comfort and his forgiveness, if you experienced that to the full, do you know how that would change everything in your life? It would drastically change everything in your life. And I've seen it happen. I, I, God ha, has changed my life. He, he didn't only see me when I was at my lowest point and help me out. He saw me at my lowest point. He came down in there with me. He put me on his shoulders, and he carried me out, and he placed me where I was supposed to be. I've seen him do it in my life. I've seen him change everything in my life. I've seen him change everything in, in my best friend's lives. I've seen him change everything in my family members' lives. I've seen him change everything in my wife's life. Uh, And I've seen him change everything in complete strangers' lives. I've seen people come up to me and say, man, I'm ready to be obedient and accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Will you help me get baptized? And see their life completely transformed. And I want that so, so desperately for each and every one of you. I want us as a generation, to start seeing the lies that the devil has been telling us, that social media has been telling us, that the world has been telling us, and expose them so that we can all experience Jesus to the full. Okay? So that's my heart behind this message. Now let's get actually into the message, okay? So we're going to be talking about faith without deeds today. I know. Tough one, huh? But uh, we're going to be camping out in James chapter 2, 14 through 26. And so this scripture, uh, it's kind of a chunk here. Uh, it'll be on the, well, I'm sorry. Let me back up, actually. Okay? I think that before we get into this scripture, we have to answer the question, what is faith? If we're going to be talking about faith without deeds, then we have to answer the question, what is faith? And my millennial minds, my Gen Z minds, went to like, oh, okay, uh, I'll just um, go to Google, research what is faith, and then take whatever that says. And for some reason, that's another lie that the world has been telling us. For some reason, our instinct to answer a question is to go to Google or to go to social media instead of going to God's Word. Like, that's just our instinct, and I don't know why that's our instinct. Our instinct should be to go to God's Word to find truth. But anyways, that was just, I did go to God's Word. In Hebrews 11.1, it says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. That is a perfect description of what faith is. A perfect description of what faith is. It's confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. And so we need to ask ourselves, do we have real faith? 
Do we have confidence in what we hope for? I know that each and every one of us, we have hopes and we have dreams for our life. We have a plan for our life. And do we have confidence that God is going to come through on all those hopes and all of those dreams? And even if he doesn't, if they're not our hopes and our dreams, they're going to be God's will for our life. And that is going to be something that's even better than what we could have ever imagined. Do we have confidence in that? Are we sure of the things that we do not see? Are we sure that God is real? Are we sure that Jesus died on the cross for us to save us from our sins? Are we sure that Jesus loves us? Are we sure about our worth in Jesus? Are we sure that he has a plan for our life to, to, to prosper us? Are we sure that he says that he came, that, he, that we may have life and life to the full? Are we sure that he is fighting our battles on behalf of us? Are we sure of these things? Or are we kind of on the fence about them? Faith, if we have faith, if we have real faith, then we're sure about them. If we have real faith, then we are confident that no matter what happens, it's God's will for our life, and God's will is better than our plan. And I think that we, need, I think that today it would be a great thing if we shifted our hopes and our dreams from saying, I want a six-figure job, I want a nice house, I want a nice car, uh, I want to be successful, from saying, I want God's will for my life. Like, I hope that God's will for my life comes to, to happen. It should be a scary thought that God's will might not happen in our life because of us. Like, you might be getting in the way of God's will happening for your life. The world, it, it's told us that surrendering everything to God is scary. That we should not surrender everything in our lives to God because it's scary, because we have to have control of our lives. And I beg to differ. It would be scary not to surrender everything in my life to God. It would be scary to put my worth in what other people think of me or what I think of me. That would be scary. It would be scary to only receive the love of that other people give me or that I give myself instead of the love of Jesus. It would be scary to have the peace that the world offers me instead of the peace that Jesus offers me. That's scary. It's scary not to surrender everything to God. But the world has told us that it's scary to surrender everything to God. And that is so backwards. And because we're not surrendering everything to God, because we have not given him everything in our life, we are not experiencing him to the full. We are not experiencing him how we're supposed to be experiencing him. Now, in James chapter 2, 14 through 26, it says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you say to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without your deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not your father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. 
You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, it was not, was, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. That's a lot to chew on right there. But before I get into anything else, I want you to hear me. This is not a work sermon. I am not telling you that you have to have works to get into heaven. Don't hear me for one second trying to say that. God is not sitting up on a throne in heaven with a whiteboard and a, and, a, and a marker giving you a tally every time you do something good and you have to have so many tallies to get into heaven. That's the furthest thing from the truth. Okay? And I know that this scripture right here can be a little bit controversial because some of us can read this and we can disagree with it. Some of us can read this and we can say that the Bible contradicts itself, which it doesn't. And some of us can read it and just get angry because, we, because it tells us that faith without deeds is dead. And so it's telling us that if we don't, have any, if we don't do anything good, any, any good deeds, then we don't have real faith. And that's exactly what it's telling us. If we don't have good deeds, then our faith is dead. And, and I think what James is trying to get at here, like, you could break this down and you could make it so complicated, but I just want to make it really simple today. If you have real faith, then good deeds flow out from that. Like, let me, let me put it this way. Our goal is to look as much like Jesus as possible, is to chase after Jesus all the time. It, Jesus is our standard and if Jesus is not our standard, then we're probably going to meet whoever our standard is. And then we're going to stop and we're going to think we're good. But if Jesus is our standard, then it's a wake-up call to each and every one of us that we're not good where we're at. Because we will never even get anywhere close to where Jesus is. And so Jesus is our standard. And if we have real faith, then that brings us closer to Jesus. That makes us look more like Jesus. And when we are closer to Jesus, when we look more like Jesus, we acquire attributes of who Jesus is like the fruits of the Spirit, like love. When we have real faith, we're able to experience God's love more. And you're not able to give anything that you don't have. I'm not able to give you a million dollars because I don't have a million dollars. You're not able to give the love of Jesus if you don't have the love of Jesus. But guess what's a good deed? Pouring out the love of Jesus. You can't give the joy of Jesus if you don't have the joy of Jesus. But guess what you can do? If you have real faith, then you have the joy of Jesus, and you can pour that out. And how good would it be if you're having a real bad day? You're, you're down on your luck, and somebody comes up to you and just fills you up with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Would that not be a good deed? That's a good deed. It's a good deed when we have patience. Oh my goodness, that's so good. How great would it be to have patience with our spouse? How great would it be to have patience with our, with our parents, with our, with our brothers and sisters? How great would that be to have patience with our coworkers? Oh my goodness, that would change everything. That right there would change everything. And so if we have real faith, then we are closer to Jesus and we look more like Jesus and we acquire the fruits of the Spirit and so we are able to give them out. And the fruits of the Spirit come flowing out of us if we have real faith. And so that is what James is saying by faith without deeds is dead. Because he's saying if you don't have faith, or if you don't, if you don't have real deeds, if, if good things are not flowing out of you, then I think you need to reevaluate yourself because you probably don't have real faith. You probably have fake faith. 
if you don't have good deeds. And that's a wake-up call. Man, what good deeds am I doing? How, how, am I, how am I encouraging people? How am I lifting people up? How am I pouring out love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness? How am I pouring these things out? Do I have real faith? Or have I lived my whole life thinking that I have fake faith? Or thinking that I have real faith when I actually have fake faith? That's a scary thought. That we may have been living our whole life thinking that we have faith when actually we don't. And they work together. Our faith and our deeds, they work together. If you have deeds but you have no faith, what good is it? What good is it? If you don't have faith, if you don't believe in God, then there is no standard of what good is. If you have faith but you don't have any good, but you don't have any good deeds, what, what good is it? It's no good because you're not showing that you have faith. What if you have a million dollars but you never spend a penny of it? What good is it? That's, it's no good. It's, you might as well not have it. What good is this mic if it doesn't have any batteries? It's, 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 it's useless. It's broken. I might as well throw it out. Same thing with our faith. If we, don't have, if we don't have good deeds, then our faith is useless. If we don't have faith, then our good deeds is useless. They work together. They have to be working together all the time. And so now that we've answered the question of what faith is, it's confidence in what we hope for, it's assurance of what we do not see. We, we've, we've, read the scripture, James, uh, we've read the scripture in James 2. We've broken down what James is talking about whenever he says, faith without deeds is dead. And now I think that we need to ask ourselves, what's a good deed? And we say, yes, we get closer to Jesus, we acquire you know, the fruits of the Spirit, we can pour those out, that's great. But I think that we can take this a step further. And guys, I love it so much. I was preparing for this, and I was literally getting goosebumps because I saw Scripture work together so perfectly. It was crazy. I saw Scripture in uh, James, Hebrews, and Genesis all work together perfectly. It was crazy. In, in, in Hebrews, I read that, uh, that faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. In James, we read that faith without deeds is useless. And later on, we're going to dive into uh, Genesis, and man, it's going to reveal some things that are going to be so, so good. But as we read um, James 2, 14 through 26, I think that a lot of us, as we read that, we miss it. We, we miss a huge part in there. And it's literally James giving us the keys. It's literally James giving us the answer. And so often, we look at God's word for what's on the page, what's right in front of us, instead of what it actually is. It is living. It is breathing. It is moving. And when we study God's word, it reveals so, so much. And, and so I just love this part right here. If we stop in James 2.20, it says, You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? I guarantee you, one of you have thought during this sermon, I would love to see evidence. We're about to see it. It says, Was not your father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? We're going to read that story in a little bit. And then it says, You see that his faith and his actions were working together. His faith and his actions were working together. Our faith and our actions have to work together or it's useless. 
And his faith was made complete. It was made complete by what he did. This is good news right here. This is, this, this, ver, we just read verse 20 and 21. And that's good news. Because this is going to give us even further of an understanding of what James is talking about when he says faith without deeds is useless. And so I'm excited to get into this. And we have to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 22. If you guys don't know, that's in the beginning of your Bible. So you guys can open just like a couple pages up, okay? Genesis 22, if you guys want to read along or it's going to be on the screen, okay? This is the story of Abraham and Isaac. And I'm telling you guys, this is so good. It says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, and I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey. He took, he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As, as, the, as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, he replied, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up there, and in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and you have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possessions of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together for Beersheba, and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Guys, I'm telling you, this scripture is so good. Okay, I'm going to break it down for you guys in real practical terms, okay? Abraham has a son, Isaac, one and only son, okay? Lord calls out to him, hey, I want you to offer your son as a burnt sacrifice to me. Kill your son. And the Abraham, he's like, okay. Next day, wakes up, goes and chops some wood with two servants and his son, Isaac, hike for three days 
come to the place where the Lord told him to, to sacrifice his son. And this is where it gets good. He tells the, the servants, he says, stay here with the donkeys. Me and my son, we're going to go up to worship. Abraham thinks he's going to go up here and kill his son. And he calls it worship. Because he's obeying what the Lord has called him to do. And I think something that we need to see is that Abraham doesn't say, yeah, sure, God, I'll offer my son as a burnt sacrifice whenever I feel like it. He wakes up the next morning and he gets to work. And I think that so many of us were like, yeah, God, man, I believe in you. I have faith. I'm, I'm going to give my life to you next week. I'm going to give my life to you uh, next year. I'm going to give my life to you when I graduate. I'm going to give my life to you when, when, I, when I'm secure in, in my finances. I'm going to give my, my life to you when, when I get the job of my dreams. I'm going to give my life to you whenever I, I, I get married, man. I'm going to give my life to you whenever I settle down and have a couple kids. I'm going to give my life to you, but I'll give it to you later. Now. Abraham said, now. Abraham said, I'm obeying right now. And for some reason, we say Later. We say, I'll give my life to you. We say, I'll obey you later. And so he says, we're going to go up here, we're going to worship, and then we will come back down. We will come back down. Because Abraham has faith. Do you remember what faith is? It's confidence in what we hope for. I guarantee you that Abraham was sure hoping that he wasn't going to have to kill his son. And he had confidence that he wasn't going to have to kill his son. That's why he said, we will come back down. An assurance of what we do not see. He's walking up the mountain, and his son Isaac said, hey, dad, uh, where is the, the lamb for the burnt sacrifice? And he says, the Lord will provide it. I know I don't see it right now, but the Lord will provide a sacrifice. That is faith. And that is faith and actions working together where he says, now I'm going. Where he says, I believe that I'm not going to have to kill my son because I believe that's not God's will for, for my life. But even if it is God's will for my life, it's worship because he's calling me to it and I'm going to obey him no matter what. And this scripture, it, it absolutely wrecked me. Because Abraham is willing to give up his only son. The son that he hoped for the son that he prayed for, the son that he waited for, the son that he loves so much, he's willing to give it up to be obedient to God. And I look at the world today, and we're not willing to give up our social media for our relationship with God. Like, I challenge you, after today, go look at how much time you spent on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and Facebook, just those four apps. And think, what would it look like if I took that many hours or that many minutes and pursued a relationship with God instead of scrolled mindlessly on social media? What would that look like? That would change everything. That would change everything. What would it look like if I gave up my phone? Abraham was willing to give up his son. He was about to kill his own son. But we're not willing to give up our iPhone. Because the world around us has told us that, that you're not cool if you don't have an iPhone. That you're weird if you have a flip phone. But what if it was getting in the way of our relationship with God? What if it was getting in the way of our relationship with God? Would, be we, would we be willing to give it up? And this one really gets me collective. 
we're not willing to give up our sin to pursue a relationship with God. No, seriously, we're not willing to give up our sin to pursue a relationship with God. Because we're looking at things on, on, our, on our phones, on our laptops that we're not supposed to be looking at. And when this temptation comes, instead of going to God's word, we just go to our laptop. Because, man, it's been a really tough week. It's been a really tough week. It's been a really tough month. It's been a really tough year. It's been a really tough couple years. So I'm just going to go hang out with these friends that I know that I shouldn't be hanging out with, that I know that are bad influence on me. I'm just going to drink. I'm just going to do some drugs until it's numb. Until I, don't, until I don't feel, you know, so stressed out anymore. Until I don't feel so, so beat up anymore. And so we go to a temporary fix, a temporary numbness, instead of going to the only one who can bring true healing. Because we put our sin above our relationship with God. And we've been blinded to it our whole life. We've been blinded to us putting our sin above God. We've been blinded by us putting our TV, our phone, our PlayStation, our, our friends that we know that we shouldn't be hanging out with all above our relationship with God. When we say God's number one in our life, but he's actually not number one in our life. He's like number 15 in our life. What would it look like if we decided to put God number one in our life today? Not whenever we get our life together. Not whenever we stop sinning. Not whenever we get married. Not whenever we graduate. Not whenever we're done playing sports. Today. What if we started taking our faith seriously today? How would that change everything in your life? I'm telling you, it would change everything. And I got one more story for you guys. Then I, if I'm being honest with you, I think I know the answer. I think I know the answer of why we put all these things above God. And I think I know because I've been there. I've been there before. I've put in so many things above my relationship with God before. When I thought that God was number one in my life, when I thought that I was pursuing him, when I thought that I was living my life for him, when I thought that, yeah, God, your will is so good and so perfect and I'm living it out. I was blinded because of the, what the world was telling me. I was blinded because of what was on social media. I was blinded because I didn't know any better. Because nobody told me about, about these lies that I was believing. And I think I know the answer. I think it's because this world has told us that it's all about us. This world has told us that it's all about us. Do you. You, you get your thing. You get your money. You get your car. You get your job. You do your thing. And I, I'm here to tell you, it is not about you. Not even a little bit. We were put on this earth to worship God. Point blank, period. We were put on this earth to worship God. But for some reason, we made it about ourselves. And so we try. Oh, man, we try. I know, I know you guys are all trying. 
I'm trying. We're, we're reading our Bible. And I feel filled up in the morning, but then when I get in my car and go to work, I, I don't feel anything. I go to church, and I feel filled up for an hour and a half, but then I go out to my car and I don't feel anything anymore. I go to small group, and I feel really good for two hours, and then I go and I get in my car and I don't feel anything anymore. And I'm trying, I'm, I'm trying to pursue God. I'm trying to live my life the way that God's calling me to live my life. I'm trying to live out his purpose for my life. I'm trying to live in his will for my life. But I just don't feel anything out of it. I don't see any blessings coming in my life. I don't feel filled up all the time. But I'm trying. Man, God, why don't, why don't I feel anything? You told me that if I sow it, I'll reap it. I'm sowing. I'm sowing. But I'm not reaping anything. We made it all about us. And, and, I, and I think that a lot of you guys have probably heard this story. Uh, a couple of the disciples, they're out uh, fishing. And man, they're, they're throwing their nets out all day long. They're throwing it out on this side, they're throwing it out on this side, they're front, behind, they're going over there, they're, they're doing all, they're, they're throwing their net out everywhere. And they ain't catching nothing. All day long, they, they ain't catching nothing. And Jesus comes out to the shore, and he says, hey, guys, throw your net out on the other side. And I, I imagine that the, that the disciples, they were frustrated because they've been fishing all day, and they ain't catching nothing. And they're professional fishermen. And then Jesus, who's a carpenter, comes over. He don't know really nothing about fishing. He says, hey, throw your nets out on the other side. And I imagine they're like, man, dude, we've thrown our nets out on that side, and we ain't catching nothing. The disciples, they were in a season of nothing. They were feeling nothing. Actually, they were probably feeling frustrated, hurt, upset, angry. And I think that that's what a lot of us feel whenever we try and we don't see anything come out of it. We feel frustrated. We feel hurt. We feel angry. And so Jesus comes. He says, hey, throw your net on the other side. And they're like, whatever, man. They throw their net on the other side because they stayed obedient because they stayed consistent, because they stayed the course. And too many of us, we try, and we try, and we try, and we try, and then we give up. And when God says one more time, we say, no, I've tried enough. I'm throwing my nets in the boat, and I'm coming to shore. I'm giving up. I'm not getting anything out of it. I'm giving up. I'm going to stop coming to church. I'm going to stop going to small group. I'm going to stop reading my Bible because we're in a season of nothing and we feel nothing but the disciples they say all right man they throw the net out on the other side and they can't even bring in the net because of the abundance of fish that's in that thing and the miracle happened at the exact same place that they were experiencing nothing the miracle happened the blessing happened at the exact same place that they experienced nothing and I'm here to tell you, collective, stay the course. Keep being obedient. Keep trying, even if you feel nothing, because I promise you, oh, I promise you that a miracle is coming. And you may never see that miracle in this life. But if you stay the course, 
if you stay obedient, if you have real faith, even when you see nothing coming out of it, that miracle is going to happen. And that miracle is going to be on the day that you die, you're going to meet Jesus face to face, and he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Come on in to heaven. And it's going to be the greatest miracle of all time. The blessings are going to overflow. You're going to have no more hurt. You're going to have no more pain. You're going to have no more tears. You're going to have no more suffering. Only blessings if you stay the course, if you keep on going, if you keep on being obedient, if you don't give up, even when you don't experience anything. Because that miracle is coming. And each and every one of us right now have an opportunity to change everything in our life. Right now. We have an opportunity to come to the collective and to apply what we learned today to our life. To say, I'm going to start taking my faith seriously. To say, I'm going to stop believing the lies of the devil and I'm going to pursue Jesus. To say, I'm going to stop waiting to give my life to Jesus. I'm going to give my life to Jesus now. My faith and my actions, they're going to start working together. Right now, we have that opportunity. Don't let this moment pass by. Don't let this moment pass by. Will you guys stand and pray with me? Lord, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you so much for loving us unconditionally, even when we fall short, even when we run from you, even when we give up on you, even when we have little faith. You still love us. You're still there for us. Lord, don't let this moment pass by. Don't let us come to the collective today and leave the same way we came in. Come into our lives, come into our hearts, and change everything. Transform us from the inside out, Lord. Give us the strength that it takes to move. Give us the courage that it takes to move, Lord. Lord, we love you, and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.